Let's open our Bibles to hear God's word. We're in 2 Corinthians, and last week we finished uh, chapter 7, and so we're uh, starting chapter 8 this morning, and we'll look at the first 15 verses. And next week, Lord willing, we have a communion Sunday, and we're going to dwell just on verse 9. So if I don't say enough about verse 9 today, it'll be our sole focus next week, one of the great verses in the entire Bible. But uh, let's open uh, to chapter 8, and let's welcome those who might be viewing online or uh, catching the sermon later on a recording. Uh, We pray God's word is a blessing to all who hear it. Reading from the English Standard Version of God's word. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction... Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this manner, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now, finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, But that, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul ends with that quote from Exodus May the Lord bless the hearing, believing, and obeying of his word. Amen. Amen. Many people know that uh, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 are a subunit, and they have to do a lot with giving, and they talk about money. But that's not foreign to the Christian's experience. For when you become a Christian, how you handle your money is equally as important as how you handle your time, your talents, your affections, your thoughts, words, and deeds. There's a famous story about a convert that illustrates this. 
And I like it because it allows me to dip into my Scottish vocabulary. There was a wee little man. And in the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, you can read about him. You may know his name. He was small of stature, but he saw that Jesus had come down and wanted to see him and, and couldn't see him for the crowds. So you know what this wee little man did? Boys and girls, do you remember the song? A wee little man. So he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. The story of Zacchaeus. And he wasn't just famous for being short, but he was also famous for being a very successful, if less than scrupulous, tax collector. He was wealthy by unjust means. A lot of people are sinners, and it doesn't show as much at first sight. But with Zacchaeus, everybody knew his hands were guilty of theft and extortion, extortion and all these things. But when Zacchaeus met Jesus and Jesus showed him his grace, and as Zacchaeus believed on the Lord and he apparently is converted, listen to what he says in Luke chapter 19. This man touched by the grace of God. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, to Jesus, Behold, Lord, half of all my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. The proof of the conversion of Zacchaeus was in his generosity flowing out from him as he had been shown grace by the savior he shows grace in his generous giving half of all he has and then on top of that to settle up with those he had defrauded giving back fourfold to each <laughs> that, that is really a radical turnaround you, you only hear stories like that once in a blue moon. And a lot of the stories throughout history of that degree of change are when the grace of God changes a harder mind. How many sons of millionaires have given away their inheritance to go to the mission field once they have met Jesus Christ? We could name them. You see, there is a connection between receiving grace and giving generously in very many ways, including money. Let's make sure we understand what's going on here. The context of Paul's comments are uh, surrounding this collection, and it's sometimes just called the collection. It was a famous attempt of the Apostle Paul and his partner Barnabas that started many years ago to relieve the saints in Jerusalem, to bring them some money in a very practical show of love to help them in their difficulty. Christian giving is first and foremost for the relief of fellow believers, for the saints. And this original plan, you can see it in a couple of scriptures. Let's take a look. In Acts chapter 11... Acts chapter 11, Paul and Barnabas uh, were in the church at Antioch, and you know Antioch was uh, a real hotbed of conversion. In fact, 
People were first called Christians at this little town of Antioch, northwest of Jerusalem, up closer to the coast in the promised land. Uh, This little town of Antioch sends out the first missionaries, Barnabas and Paul. But notice what it says here as it uh, lists the church's activities, Acts 11, verses uh, 29 and 30. Uh, So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. What are they doing? The Christians who were thriving, revival had broken out in Antioch, they were collecting, and they had a lot of resources at their disposal, and each gave according to his ability, so they all participated in an offering, a love gift. For the brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem, in the region around Jerusalem, in Judea. And this precedes even the Acts 15 uh, uh, council in Jerusalem. As more Gentile converts were coming, these are Christians looking out for Christians. And it was hard in the city of Jerusalem and in the surrounding neighborhood. So they send a collection. Later on, Paul would uh, write to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Right at the end of that first major letter to the Corinthians. The first of several letters. Remember, Paul spent 18 months in Corinth. He knew these people well. And as he writes this first letter back to them, chapter 16 opens with these words. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, that's what he's calling it. And he's using the definite article, so it's something he's already talked about when he was there. Part of their weekly routine, I'm sure, included the giving of gifts to the Lord as we have offerings each week. And they would set aside a portion of that for mission work or for benevolence work. So he says this, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as you may prosper, so that there'll be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So it was relief from Corinth for believers back in Jerusalem. And it wasn't just in Corinth. It was an ongoing plan to involve other churches that he had planted in Galatia, which would be north of Antioch, in Asia Minor, and then over towards uh, Macedonia. Um, you might uh, be envisioning, hopefully, the Aegean. Well, I wave my hand. You have to think of the Mediterranean. Or look at the map in the back of your Bible. All around the, the oceans there, you'd see there was Galatia in modern-day Turkey. And then Macedonia, where Paul had crossed, included the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. Macedonia was contributed. And now Paul writes to Corinth, which is down further on that peninsula in a region called Achaia. So the Corinthians are included. And you almost see this great counterclockwise uh, traveling of Paul as missionaries. We're collecting everywhere we go because the Christians back in Jerusalem need our help. And 10 years later, when Paul arrived in Jerusalem, you can read about it in Acts 24, he arrived with the offering. And as he encounters people at the temple, he's arrested. Part of his testimony was, after several years, I came to bring alms to my nation 
and to present offerings. He meant this collection. In a 10-year process from those early days in Antioch, Christians around the known world were supporting Christians in Jerusalem. This ongoing collection included now Corinth. It was important. Not just Macedonia, that was the maybe the hinterlands compared to Corinth. Just as in America, we sometimes have the heartland or the northern plains. But maybe take your geographical imagination and cross the Midwest and come to California, that golden state, and think of the great cities on the coast as if Paul were now talking to something like a Los Angeles. You, Corinth, you have a chance to contribute. It's an ongoing Collection, But notice specifically what Paul says here in chapter 8, 2 Corinthians, back to our text, chapter 8, 6 and 7. Accordingly, as we urge Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. Remember, he had sent Titus, chapter 7, he's really happy Titus came back with good news. One of the things he sent Titus to do was to deliver uh, that stern letter that difficult letter and he hears back that it was effective but he also said Titus remind them about the offering remind them about the collection keep it in their mind that they need to be chipping away at that it needs to be significant so that's what he's saying as he speaks of Titus here um, that this should be completed as you excel in everything and he's, he's being very encouraging as he speaks to these Corinthians. You excel in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you. He says at the end of verse 7, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He wants them to complete what they've begun. How many little churches have started a fundraising event and they put up the thermometer? Do people still do that? And, and you show how much has been raised. It starts really exciting. Wow, it's a third. It's halfway. It's over halfway. Does it always get to the top? It's difficult to finish well. To finish what we begin, it's really important if it's what God wants. And one of the best ways, by the way, you can pray for an older believer or for an older pastor, is that we finish well. Those who've taken vows, those who have made promises, may we all finish well. This ongoing collection was important. Let me ask before we move on about this giving, what was its aim and purpose? What was the aim and purpose? Paul is really committed to this offering He and Barnabas and others were promoting it and people were giving sacrificially, as we'll see. What was the purpose of it? I think the purpose was twofold. And the first is what most of us are expecting to see here for physical relief. There was a need. There was an urgent need. People were going hungry. People didn't have clothes. People that were unemployed. There there, There were divided families and broken families and all sorts of needs in the city. It was needed for relief in our text. This comes up down in verses 13 and following. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, 
but as a matter of fairness. And your abundance at the present time should supply their need. There's a need. God's given richly to you, especially you Corinthians. You, you got quite a bit at your command. They have need. One other place where Paul discusses this offering, and it's important to look at, is Romans 15, because there he expresses how this works, this need to relieve one another. And in Romans 15, it's near the end of the letter, so he's getting into practical matters, and they are important. And in verse 27, Paul says this, Romans 15, 27. For they were pleased to do it. He's talking about the churches in Macedonia and Achaia, and he's writing to the Romans. Let me start in verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And then he goes on to talk about it. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. Wait a second, that's interesting. He's saying that these Gentile converts in the outer reaches have an obligation to the Jerusalem Christians? Let's see what he says. Picking up in verse 27. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they also ought to be of service to them in their material blessings. When therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. That was his plan. He makes a passing reference that this contribution has been for the need of the people there. But then he mentions that there's this obligation. Indeed, it sounds like he's talking about a debt. Did they borrow money? Did Philippi borrow money from Jerusalem? Did Berea, Thessalonica, or Corinthians? No. What was the obligation? The church, Christianity, had gone outward from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world. They were blessed because Jerusalem Christians had been faithful and had scattered, had carried the gospel, had sent the missionaries. And those who have received the blessing of the gospel had some obligation, Paul infers, to those who sent it. So one of the aims and purposes here was not simply for uh, relief of poverty and difficulty, but for this sense of connectedness and unity in the body of Christ. We have obligations to other believers for what they do for us, how they pray for us, how they send the gospel to us. Dr. Paul Barnett says this, Paul's aim is to create a sense of unity and brotherhood between the two branches of Christianity, Jewish and Gentile, between whom there had been a measure of tension. And he goes on to discuss the Judaizers. You remember that there were some from Jerusalem, some Jewish Christians who had a, I wanted to say bee in their bonnet, but they had a a, a commandment and some ceremonial laws in their in, in their agenda, and they tried to get the Gentiles to come to Christ via Moses, those Judaizers, and they showed up in Corinth. One of the problems was that some were seeking to divide uh, the, the church over issues like that. Paul sought, if we saw our oneness and we contributed to the saints in Jerusalem, uh, to James, who was the, the lead of the church in Jerusalem for many years, it would accomplish good 
and build unity and goodwill, even though some were trying to divide and separate. There are many purposes for Christian giving, not merely need, but to express unity. We see that also in how this passage in 2 Corinthians 8 and down in verse 15, how our passage ends. There's this reference to Exodus, and hopefully you, it rings a bell. If it doesn't ring a bell, you need to read your Old Testament just a little bit more, okay? Uh, at the very end of this passage, he's talking about your supply could meet their need, their supply could meet your need. And then he said this in verse 15, as it is written, Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. What's that a reference to? The manna. The manna given in the wilderness. If you remember the story, God brought his people, the ancient church, as it were, into the wilderness. How does he feed them? Water from the rock and manna from heaven. And when the manna first showed up, they said, wow, this is interesting. And Moses instructed them, gather what you need for this day and no more. Except on uh, uh, the, the last day, uh, gather enough for the Sabbath day, because on the Sabbath you're not going to collect. So they'd gather twice as much the day before the Sabbath. And some people would sometimes gather more than they should have, and they're not able to keep it or enjoy it because it goes bad. Some people gathered less, but they ended up having enough. That's what the Exodus reference talks about explicitly. It said, as the people of Israel did so, they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever had gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever had gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. God's provision for his people, pictured there in the manna, and referenced here by Paul, that we're in this together. That those who are recipients of grace need to act graciously one to another. And that there's not always uh, equality of results, but there's equity among believers. Let's talk specifically about what Paul does next uh, in this generosity. He starts talking about this uh, collection. And he starts right off with his example, as though he can hardly contain the news. Those Christians up in Macedonia. And it's interesting, he tells that testimony and then he says, hey, Corinth, it's your turn now. That's interesting how he works to to give the example and then the exhortation. But this example about the Macedonians begins by saying that they didn't skip the offering. They gave despite their circumstances. They were giving despite their circumstances. It says, uh, the grace of God had been among the churches of Macedonia. Verse 2, for in a severe affliction, their, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Okay, they're happy Christians, good, but they're really poor Christians. We, we don't know much about Macedonia typically, but if you look at it, you'll find that it was one of the poorest sections of the Roman Empire. Because there had been a rebellion at one point in that area, it had been suppressed, and, and uh, uh, I, I don't know if there were blockades, but it just turned into one of the poorest places. And, and, and might I suggest you think in terms of the poverty of Haiti, so close to the wealth of North America, 
and yet a very impoverished place. Macedonia, like that. And, and the word here talks not only about their poverty, their deep poverty. The, the, the Greek word bathysphere uh, it talks about the depths of the poverty. As in to say rock bottom or below the surface poverty. It was really dire. Yet they still gave. They didn't skip it. I once heard a, a preacher tell a college student, says, oh, you don't, you don't have to worry about giving money to the church right now. You're a student. You just don't have resources right now. Live your life as a student. Don't worry about putting anything in the offering plate. And I was aghast. That's not what the Bible says, my friends. The Bible says that you give in in proportion to what you have. If you're a student and you're tight on a budget, I, I remember giving single dollar bills in my offering when I was a college student. Things were that tight. But it was my act of worship. Don't refuse the child who wants to put in their coins, their percentage. They want to give something. Don't exempt people from their obligations to worship, from the joy of worship. We'll get into more about specifics in giving and offering. This chapter has several things to say. But notice first that these Christians in Macedonia who Paul holds up as a model, they gave despite their poverty, despite their afflictions. They didn't use excuses. Uh, We don't have as much as other people. We're the ones that really should be getting an offering. Why don't you take an offering for us, Paul? They gave what they could, he says. Not out of ease or convenience. I actually like the the fundraising slogan I heard years ago. I can't even remember where I heard it. It said, don't just give uh, till it hurts. Oh, I can only give this much. That number would be too big. That would hurt. Give till it helps. I think we're much more sensitized to, to that level of pain. They give despite their circumstances. Their poverty and, it says, not just their poverty... But their afflictions, they gave according to their means and beyond their means. Notice that Paul goes on to say they not only participated, but they gave generously with joy. They didn't just meet the the 10% or whatever figure they had or the Corinthians had or Paul had in mind. They gave according to their means. They gave a proportion. But then they begged, verse 4, earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief They gave abundantly, generously, cheerfully. And yes, we'll see the verse next time uh, down the chapter. God loves a cheerful giver. That's coming up. Giving is really about the heart and about where your hope is, where you find strength and comfort. Oh, I can't give because that's part of my comfort. I don't want to give my comfort away. Put me in an uncomfortable place. It's about your attitude. Do you trust the Lord? Do you, is he your most valuable possession? Does everything adjust to having God as your trust and your hope? And notice too what Paul says here. Something that's very shocking and perhaps even overread. Uh, verse 5. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves. 
first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. These people in Macedonia, that's the cities of Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, places we've heard about. Those Christians gave not only the money, but they gave more than their money. They gave themselves. What does that mean? Well, if we had time, we'd pursue how uh, the church in Philippi, part of that impoverished region, not only sent gifts to Paul, but they sent help to Paul, a companion at one point. They said to one of their guys, go help Paul. We'll, we'll make do here, brother. Go help. They gave more than money. Derek Prime says they did not limit, the, limit their giving to putting money into the offering plates. They put themselves in with the offering. I think it's good here to put that reminder in that the writer of Hebrews gives us chapter 13, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's so much more going on here than just the money. But it's what the average American thinks about every day. Not always in a good way. We need to have biblical thinking about what we can give and not just our money, but of ourselves. God's given you talents, abilities, opportunities. You need to be considering the tithing, as it were, from all that you have and are. When Peter would come to write his first letter in 1 Peter chapter 4, he would remind us this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That variegated grace means God's given everybody different gifts. And he goes on, this is Peter, he goes on to say, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Give your money, but give yourselves and use your gifts in service one to another. That's part of the generosity. How many of us have thought that these busy days, our time is perhaps the most precious thing we have? Are we giving our time? Well, what are our motivations in giving? We have several applications coming up, but I wanted to also mention this heading. What are the Christian motivations in giving? Because Paul's using a couple things here to motivate the Corinthians, right? What was the first motivation? The example of those Macedonians. What? We're here in Corinth. We're articulate, well off. Uh, You know, all these things. We have gifts. We have so many Bible teachers. We have factions. And they gave that much? Wow. Paul's first motivation in giving is he hints at a comparison. But he's not pitting one against the other. And we need to be careful about that. Comparisons can be dangerous. Corinth was wealthy and full of gifts. Macedonia, very poor. And as Romans reminds us, we're all in one body. We have many members, and 
members don't have the same functions. We don't have the same resources. There are differences. And whenever the Bible talks about gifts in the body of Christ, it mentions the diversity in the body. So why do I mention that? If we're going to compare, you have to pause and make sure to know God has designed certain distinctives. A certain member of the body might have more money, might have more abilities and and connections and power and influence. God has designed diversity into the body. And we need to remember that. So comparisons can be dangerous. But those Macedonians are a wonderful example how Christians should be givers. How Christians shouldn't just let circumstances limit our participation. Our participation should always be proportional. It comes out here. It comes out there. It's throughout the Bible. God doesn't expect everyone to give a million bucks. God expects everyone to give something in proportion to what he's given you. So be careful with comparisons, but don't let a, a comparison keep you from giving. I mean, if, if, if we would do that, the Macedonians would say, hey, Paul, you're not getting anything from us. We're broke. Go to those Corinthians. They got gold-plated faucets. You know, go talk to them. No, they participated as they were able. We don't know the amounts but it really surprised Paul what they gave. As a very young pastor uh, at a church once, I was opening the mail and realized, oh, somebody was sending in their offering. And I looked at the offering, it was a large check, and I looked at the return, and it was someone on a limited income. And I said, this can't be right. I've since learned from that not to open mail that looks like offerings. Let somebody else do it. That's a long time ago. But giving can be a spiritual gift. And generosity can come from any quarter. The great motivation in giving is given here in verse 9. Let's take a brief look at it this morning. Paul's uh, first motivation is that their love would also be genuine. That was verse 8. To prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Just like Macedonians, you need to be loving and make your gifts. Verse 9, for you also know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Why is Paul bringing that up? Two things. They are rich in Christ, so they should give generously. But he's also setting forth Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as an example of one who gave his all. It says that Christ became poor. That's a reference to the incarnation, as we'll see next week. So that we might become rich. The gospel by which we're saved gives us an inheritance in heaven that can never spoil, fade, or be taken away. We are rich in Christ. He's reminding them of that. If you have received the gift of salvation in Christ, you have motivation to give. He who has been forgiven much ought to love much, ought to be forgiving and giving. It's the Christian who can go the extra mile. A good citizen, when coerced by a soldier, might go the mile he's required. 
The Christian goes the extra mile because grace received and grace at work bears the fruits of grace. Generosity in our giving of our time, our talents, and our money. You see, conversion itself is a motive for giving. Conversion, grace received, brings forth generosity. This is what Paul continues to point out here. Look at the word grace in our passage today. It shows up all over, right? It starts. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. What's he talking about? There are many converts in Macedonia. But the grace of God that brings about their conversion also brings about their generosity and their giving. It's grace that's at work, according to verse 1. And then down in verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That word favor in the ESV, as the footnote indicates, is the Greek word charis, and it can mean favor or grace. And I think Paul is specifically referring to grace in giving. They're saying, Paul, we want to be a part of this. The grace that we've received, we want to show to give to others. So grace is there in verse 4. And then in verse 6 and in verse 7. Titus went to Corinth to remind them to complete this act of grace. And at the end of verse 7, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What is the point? The Bible is telling us if you've received the grace of God, you are under obligation to be forgiving, to be loving and gracious and generous. It's only money. You can't take it with you. Someone had this conversation just the other day. You never see a hearse with a U-Haul behind it. You can't take it with you. Invest it well. First and foremost in providing for your family, but then also for the family of God. The relief and help of the saints. I was brought to tears a couple of times in recent weeks when I I had shared primarily for prayer about a brother I had met at Banner of Truth. He was a student and he's in Burma or Myanmar. He's got his degree and he's running a Bible college, but with the, uh, the coup there and the military uprising, he and his wife are on the run from house to house, chased, and they've seen people killed. And as I shared that uh, just a few weeks back with people, the missions committee of this church said, can we send a love gift to this brother? A few hundred dollars, and we found out how we can do that. Out of our abundance, this brother, this guy I know by name, Nang Bu, his wife and his daughter, his, his wife miscarried it earlier because they were on the run. We can reach out. And it's not just the money they need. They need to know somebody cares. They're not alone. That's how God works. What a privilege. If we've been converted to give. Giving is an appropriate response to grace, says Derek Prime. He also said that, uh, there's uh, no way to grow in godliness apart from giving. Kent Hughes said that there's no way to grow in spiritual maturity without committing your finances to the Lord. The God we serve, according to James 1.5, is a generous giver. 
You want to grow in godliness? It's not just your theology. It's not just your prayer life. It's what you do with your hands and your wallet, it seems to me. Well, this morning, let's uh, name a few specific applications in closing. I have four. Oftentimes I have three, but today we have four. And uh, this isn't just the fine print at the end of a commercial. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is kind of our checklist. And I often put the applications last because it's the first things we need to be doing now that we understand what's going on in the passage. First, number one, do not be parochial. Using a new word, perhaps to some of you, you've heard the term parochial before. What does it mean? Well, I've heard of a parochial school. Typically, that's where a Catholic church has a Christian school for their parish, just for their little locale. The word parochial means limited in scope to a location, as in a parish. So if part of the sermon application is this, don't be parochial, don't be limited in scope just to this church. That's what we're saying by using that interesting word. And let me just cite as as evidence Paul's interest here. We supply each other's need. When when we have an abundance and they're in need, we kick it in. And when we're in need and they have a supply, they kick in. That's how it works. And how many of Paul's letters open with him thanking God, like in Philippians? He wrote to the Philippians and said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We're partners in the advance of the gospel in the kingdom. We don't have an apostle to write to or to send someone to, but the work of God continues and we have a partnership with other believers and with what God is doing in the world. So we can't be parochial. Yes, we attend to things here, but we don't want to be limited to here. Even Hebrews has that flavor in chapter 13 when it says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. I read that and I said, boy, I really have to pray for Christians in difficult places around the world. And it's very biblical and appropriate that we pray for those in the Schenectady County Jail and in other county jails that the ministry to them and among them continue. There's a Bible verse for that. We can't just be limited to us. Second exhortation, we have to desire to help. One of the key things in Paul's writings here is this desire, this attitude, this willingness. He says you had the desire to give. That's good, but you got to see it through. And just being willing to participate. Those Macedonians, he held up as an example, they begged Paul to participate. Usually when you're collecting money, you're there begging for others to give you something. But instead, it's the Macedonians, Paul, Paul, please wait, we want to give you. We want to participate. We have to have this desire. Two references on this is Romans 12, let love be genuine. Yeah, it's a practical part of the Bible. He talks about love. He says, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's a good list here in Romans 12. He continues, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. And he continues, contribute to the needs of the saints. 
and seek to show hospitality. He says that's how you show your love is genuine or how Paul worded it here so that uh, uh, people could see the earnestness of your love, the genu- that your love is genuine also in verse 8. The attitude is everything. As we heard in Scripture read this morning in our service from 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, the meat of that section of the letter. What did it say in that passage? If I give away all that I have to the poor and give my body to be burned, but have not love, I'm nothing. We need to desire to help and desire our giving to help. It's what's in the heart that is also of great importance. Application number three, keep your promises. Do keep your promises. Don't be parochial. Desire to help. Do keep your promises. That's kind of what Paul's saying to Corinth. You guys promise. I mean, there's expectation that help is going to be coming from you. Don't let us show up and find that you haven't done anything. Keep your promises. That's a good application for us any day of the week. The wisdom literature, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, has this to say, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay your vow or fulfill your vow. In a final exhortation, display the gospel. Display the gospel in your gracious living and giving. It's one thing to say to someone in need, oh, I'll pray for you, go be blessed. But it's another thing to give them a blanket, to give them a ride, to give them your time, your help, your money. We display the gospel. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. He has loved us and treated us so graciously. He went to the house of Zacchaeus. Doesn't he know that's the the big bad guy in our neck of the woods? Oh, what is he going to see in there? All the, the fruits of his iniquity. Jesus, friend of sinners, went with grace for Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is changed. And so Zacchaeus goes out and lives the gospel. He says, I can be generous. God has forgiven me. I can be forgiving and I want to make amends with all those I have wronged. Display the gospel in your gracious living and your giving. Would people know you're a Christian by looking at your checkbook? Would people know you're a Christian by looking at your day planner and your calendar? Seeing where you are investing and spending your time and your life. There's so much at stake here. Thank God he is a God of grace to us first. And as the Macedonians learned, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to others. Always secure your walk in the grace, goodness, and strength of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you this day for your goodness to us, your people, uh, not only here but around the world. We thank you that provisions show up seemingly unannounced in the hands of those who need them. 
Oh, the stories of George Mueller and others, Lord, who pray and you provide. May your body be knit together in love and generosity for its members, near and far. Lord, may we have a mindset that we have commitments and obligations to those who sent us the gospel, those who brought us the gospel, Christians near and far. Lord, help us, we pray. We give you thanks for your grace to us and your grace at work in us. It is a joy, Father. We pray and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.